Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. Yes. Jesus. So we missed out, both of us. I wouldn't I don't know if I'd say missed out, but neither of us was alive when Mount St. Helens went off. Right. It was three years before I was born. That was ten years before you were born. Eighty seven? Is it eighty seven? Mm. Oh boy. Mount St. Helens. Eruption. 1980. Yeah, 10 years before you were ah, born. A whole dang decade. It, dang it. <laughs> I, don't know, I just associate with it sometimes, you know? Sometimes it sounds like it, or it seems like it happened a lot closer to us because we live in Idaho, which is somewhat close right. to the Cascades. And Well, it's it's Idaho was the state next to Washington. Yes. That looks like a gun or a bomb, <laughs> depending upon who you're asking. Yeah. So Joe, Joe, Joe Biden's face. Have you seen that one? No. Yeah, there's a there's a meme where it's like uh, the Idaho Montana border looks like Joe Biden sniffing Idaho. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, I have seen that one. Yeah. Like so, Montana is Joe Biden's face. I guess. Yeah, Western Montana. Yeah. But because we grew up in Idaho, and Idaho was you know fairly geographically close to Mount St. Helens when it went off. Right. I know a lot of people where when I grew up remembered it, remembered all of the ash mm-hmm. covering everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Mount St. Helens ended up killing 57 people Jeez. officially. Right. So that was a huge event yeah. in 1980. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a lot of times you can like dig in the soil around here and you can actually see like the ash, the ash line depending upon... If that area has been disturbed between then and now. Right, yeah. yeah. So I just remember hearing stories um, growing up about Mount St. Helens. So we were going to talk about another volcanic eruption oh. in our story today. But before we get to that, we're going to do some presidential trivia. My favorite. So the question today is, which president... Let's see how I want to say this. Which president's favorite food... Was cottage cheese and ketchup, and and they like to eat it for breakfast. What? Yeah. Cottage cheese and ketchup and ketchup for breakfast. Yes. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. <laughs> so. The answer will be at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. All right, so we are going to talk about volcanoes today. (laughs) Our in-studio audience (laughs) cheering for today's topic. (laughs) Everybody loves a good volcano. (laughs) Right. On April 5th, 1815, British authorities living on the Indonesian island Java heard an explosion in the distance and assumed it was cannon fire. Fearing that a neighboring village was under attack, troops were sent to protect the village. 
Others thought it might be SOS signals from a sinking ship and launched a rescue mission to look for survivors. <laughs> when no one found any invading armies or sinking ships, the British thought it might be pirates coming into the area. <laughs> but after investigating the nearby waters, they also found nothing. Yeah. So the British had, basically at this time, it was very recently <laughs> they took paranoid. over... Super paranoid. They, yeah, they very recently <laughs> were taking over the Indonesian islands. Yeah. Or, you know... Um, so they weren't... British people aren't accustomed to volcanoes. Yeah. And so this volcano is grumbling. The locals are telling them about it. It means nothing to these British officers they, or They don't understand yeah. It. yeah. They don't understand what, you know, what it means. Ge- apparently geography or... Uh, dang it. Volcanology? Yeah. <laughs> Geology wasn't part of their military no. training. But on the evening of April 10th, Mount Tambora, a volcano located on Sumbawa Island, erupted. Three columns of lava shot out of the top of the volcano into the air. Suddenly, the whole mountain was covered in lava, and molten rock was rocketing out of the volcano in every direction. The village of Sangar was only 19 miles away and was rained down on with pumice stones ranging from the size of walnuts to the size of a fist. Yikes. An hour into the volcano's eruption, there was so much ash and dust in the air that the volcano was hidden from view. Yikes. That's terrifying. Yeah. So now you can't see, and there's rocks, like, falling down on your head. As the ash clouds thickened, the lava coming... Wait, wait, what time are we? April 1815. Okay, that's right. As the ash clouds thickened, the lava coming down the volcano began to heat the air up above the clouds. So now the volcano is spewing above the ash cloud, Mm -hmm. and the air, because of the lava, it's starting to heat up very quickly. As air, because when it gets hot, it rises, Mm -hmm. so air is now rising above the clouds and is getting hot, which created a vacuum Mm -hmm. that had a bunch of cold air sweeping below the cloud, Mm -hmm. which created a massive whirlwind that tore up trees by their roots swept up people, cattle, and horses, and flattened all the houses in Sangar. Jeez. Yeah. That's terrifying. The village of Tambora, that was even closer to the volcano than Sangar, was almost immediately covered under pumice. (laughs) Just, yeah. Just rocks. Gone. Yeah. Huge waves of lava made their way to the ocean, which created tsunamis around 15 feet high. Wow. Yeah. Explosions from the hot lava meeting the cold ocean water caused even more ash to be thrust into the atmosphere. Hmm. Pumice stones quickly cooled in the ocean and became large floating pumice fields, or large floating pumice islands, I guess. Yeah. Some three miles wide. Wow. So now they're basically kind of like icebergs floating in the ocean. But rocks. And ships, you know, were... They were just as dangerous to ships, almost, as icebergs. Right. So you don't want to run into a big Three rock island. Pile of rocks. Right. Like, it's like being like, oh, it's just a pile of gravel, and then you run into it, and you're like, oh, yeah, it nope. can still F me up pretty good. <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> Even though it's just a bunch of tiny rocks, together they are mighty. Yeah. <laughs> the eruption had exploded the top 3,000 feet of the volcano and left a crater that was three miles wide and half a mile deep. Jeez. According to the U.S. Geological Survey's Volcano Explosivity Index, mm-hmm. the Tambora eruption scored a 7 out of 8. 
and was a hundred times more powerful than the Mount St. Helens eruption, which was rated at a five. Right. So it's exponential. Yes. Like it's not just like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's like big old. Yeah, it's a big old steep curve. And you don't want to get to an eight because that pretty much means like. Schmellow (laughs) Schmellow. I don't want, I'm afraid to say it because 2020. But the Schmellow Schmellow Schmooper volcano? Yellowstone would be (laughs) between a seven and an eight, probably, is what they figure. Well, thanks, Jordan. If you're listening, then you. Listening to this as you're driving away from the ash and <laughs> nuclear winter that's about to occur because of because Yellowstone. Because I jinxed it. That's <laughs> 2020. <laughs> At least 10,000 people were killed immediately during the eruption, wow. but it's more likely to be around 90,000 people due to lava, rocks raining down in the villages, tsunamis, and large amounts of toxic gases that just. Right. Killed people. Right. And it's not like they had a census to know how many people were actually killed. Right. And yeah. yeah, who yeah, nobody's counting. Yeah. Nobody's counting how many people were actually there. Yeah. Nobody's counting how many people died. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of like Pompeii, where they would find bodies that were like perfectly encapsulated in preserved. M- preserved in lava hmm. that just died instantly hmm. when it hit them. Wow. Ash and about 100 megatons of sulfur aerosols continued to rise into the air as high as 25 miles above the volcano. Hmm. 25 miles above anything. Oh, anything. That's pretty high up. Well, you're in you're in the upper reaches of. I don't remember all the layers of the atmosphere, but, but you're pretty high up there. Yeah, because planes fly at what seven miles? Yeah, ish. By that night, the ash cloud above Tambora was 300 miles wide. Hmm. Some of the ash began to rain down, but much of it stayed in the atmosphere. 24 hours after the eruption, the ash cloud was the size of Australia. Hmm. By the time the volcano finally stopped erupting... Which Australia is a big continent. Yes, it is. By the time the volcano stopped erupting, it had released 100 cubic kilometers of molten rock. Hmm. Which, if you is now want today miles, known as the United States of America. <laughs> if you want to know that in miles, because you don't know anything about kilometers, because you're an American, yes. that would be about an area 100 miles by 100 miles and 12 feet deep. Mm. So that's a lot of molten rock. Yeah. The ash cloud continued to so expand. It, it and is now known today as the United States of America. No. Okay. <laughs> But we are going to get just to, wanted to clarify We are that. going to get to America soon. <laughs> okay. America's already a thing. It's yeah. the 1800s. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. The ash cloud began to expand and blow in the wind until it covered the entire earth by the winter of 1815-1816. Nice. The ash cloud was reflecting and scattering sunlight, which caused the Earth's temperatures to cool gradually. Mm. People around the globe also started to notice amazing sunrises and sunsets due to all of the sulfur in the air. Nice. One English writer said of the sunsets, The evening twilight has been generally colored of late, and at times streaked with converging shadows, the origin of which could not be traced to clouds intercepting the light. Sometimes the clouds would continue to glow red for half an hour after sunset. Wow. And you can see paintings from 1815, 1816, around that time, mm-hmm. where there's these paintings with like all of these amazing yellows and reds and mm-hmm. of sunsets and sunrises, mm-hmm. just because that's how the world Vivid actually was. looked. That was it, yeah. 
You know what that kind of reminds me of is like the the pictures from some of the wildfires mm-hmm. you know, the, with like the, the glow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of what it, that's what it reminds me of. Because I mean, I've seen some pretty, I mean, amazing in the sense of uh, you're just it's you're awestruck when you look at it. And you're like, oh my gosh, how's that even possible? Right. Yeah. Oh, very similar. In America, see now we're now we're to America. Mm-hmm. In America, the beginning of 1816 seemed to be very promising. Also, they didn't know anything about the volcano. Volcano. Yeah. (laughs) They had just ended the War of 1812 with Britain and was expanding in both population size and territory size very quickly. Mm -hmm. Though the entire world was cooling due to Tambora, the winter had seemed mild for New England, and the beginning of April 16 was even slightly warmer than usual. However, on April 19th, Albany, New York, had a winter storm hit that covered the city in snow. One reporter from Chillicothe, Ohio, wrote, A temperature extraordinary at this season of the year. In the latter part of last week, the weather was excessively cold. On Sunday, snow fell to the depth of several inches. And since that time, the weather has been clear, but nearly as cold as it was in February. Then a heat wave came through, Mm -hmm. and temperatures in Vermont reached... No, it's not the lava. Okay. <laughs> it's just the ash cloud is making the weather just the there's just not really Sweet. like yeah, I get it's it. just it's, weird patterns. It, yeah, I get it. The lava is not warming up the the earth now though. Okay. So, I, I I knew that. I was just, I was just yeah, a joke. yeah, it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Then a heat wave came through and temperatures in Vermont reached the low 80s, so farmers excitedly began to plant their crops. Then a frost came through on May 2nd, and parts of New York State were covered with six inches or more of snow. Oh no. The cold front traveled down out of New England to the south as far as Tennessee, ruining large amounts of cotton. Farmers in Virginia began to dig back up the corn they had planted so they could plant it again when it got warmer. Mm. In New England, everything was covered in ice and snow, and farmers were running out of feed for their cattle and horses. Because now it's May. You weren't, like, your horses and cattle cattle are supposed to be grazing in fields now, but your fields are covered in snow and ice. Yeah. Blossoms on fruit trees as far west as Cincinnati all shriveled and died. Mm. The weather continued to fluctuate across New England, with temperatures getting into the 80s and then plummeting down to freezing. That's crazy. On June 6th, some Americans woke up to half a foot of snow and wind speeds around 30 miles per hour that created wind chills of 10 degrees. Wow. Farmers began to build fires near their fields to keep their crops from freezing. Despite the fires... Did that work? Not really. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, just for the crops that were, like, literally right next to the fire. Yeah, yeah. But they would hire people to keep the fires going all night and all day. Intended to. Yeah. Despite the fires, though, crops were destroyed all over the country. Without their crops bringing in any income, many farmers began to maintain county roads instead of having to pay local taxes. Well, now the county roads are still needing (laughs) to be shoveled and... That's what farmers are doing now. Yeah. Instead of having instead of paying taxes. Birds were dropping dead all over New England from being froze to death. Yeah. Some farmers had Well, also there's no f- There's also food, no food so, for them. Yeah. yeah. Insects are probably still hiding in the depths of the tree barks and right. the ground and, and soil, yeah. yeah. 
Some farmers had already shorn their sheep during a warm spell and then tried to tie the fleeces back on the sheep to keep them warm. Oh, no. But many of the sheep still froze to death. Trying to find a reason to this crazy weather, religious revivals gained a lot of popularity across New England. Yeah. Which it was like, you know, kind of almost like festivals where like traveling preachers would come around and host these large gatherings. End of the world apocalypse. Some of them, yeah. Yeah. It was a big uh, Protestant revolution Mm. in America at this time. Mm. People trying to find an answer for all of the hardships they were living through. The governor of New Hampshire, William Plumer, believed that the weather was God's punishment on the earth, and he begged people to humble themselves for for their transgressions so that the warmer weather might return. The beginning of August was warm, and farmers tried replanting their fields, hoping to get a long enough growing season to harvest some crops before the first frost that usually came in October. But really, what is the first frost if you're still getting snow in July? Yeah. (laughs) The next frost came on August 13th and 14th and wiped out the corn crop around Concord, New Hampshire. Some farmers in Maine wrapped rags around their plants to protect them from the frost. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Literally trying everything. Yeah, yeah. Despite... Like, I've seen that on a small scale. Like, you know, if you, you plant your garden a little early in the spring here in Idaho, like, you you go out and you take a sheet and you cover <clears throat> cover your right. garden. Your and, little seedlings. Yeah. And the heat from the plants and the earth just helps keep that little bit of frost just right. off. Like, it's not too but, deep. But you can't do that if it's freezing temperatures two days in a row two days in a row or or the whole day weeks in a row the whole day right despite most crops not making it wheat rye and potatoes were still growing and keeping new england and keeping new englanders just out of famine a new hampshire farmer was able to grow wheat on his south facing farm he got just enough sunlight to grow some wheat and he was a very nice person and shared it with his neighbors that were not as lucky when he died in 1847, his neighbors paid for a gravestone and monument that read, A pioneer of this town, cold season of 1816, raised 40 bushels of wheat on this land, which kept his family and neighbors from starvation. Wow. Like, 30 years later, they're like, this was a good dude. Like yeah. He kept us from dying. Yeah. We're paying for his gravestone. Yeah. That's amazing that yeah. they did that. Along with the cold snaps, there was also a drought caused by the ash cloud. Hmm. Wildfires began to break out across New England on huh. days that it is warm enough to grow crops or anything. Huh. Wildfires start. So now Jeez. everything is getting well, burned how? up. How are the fires starting? Because there's no moisture. So it'll get up in the 80s. Also, so it's spontaneous combustion. That and some is co- a lot of were actually caused by farmers oh, yeah. in New England. Um, oh, because of their fires that had been burning? Well, you know, like here, farmers usually. Because this is like September, October. Usually uh, in the fall, you decide to burn, burn your fields yeah. and all that. Well, well, it's generally an illegal practice nowadays. Right. But, but they were they were doing <laughs> that very much then. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, you know, for next year's harvest, like, we're going to come back. We're going to burn our fields now. This is when we usually do it. Hmm. And they just, the fires just got away from them all yeah. over New England. Huh. So... And with the drought, there's not enough moisture to keep the flames under control. So houses and barns burned down. Cattle herds were completely taken out by wildfires, along with wood that locals were counting on to use as fuel to get through to get them through all of the cold spells. Right. So people are building fires now all year long. Right. And they're starting to run out of wood. Yeah. Like, 
like I think like it's typical winter too. It's easy to burn through like 10, 14 cord of wood in like Vermont. Right. You know, like that's just during a like normal year, which right. what is a normal year, right? Sure. But like average. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can imagine now that it's the whole year, it's at least doubled. Yeah. And people are probably just constantly going out and cutting down wood yeah. just to keep their families yeah. warm. With few crops and their farm animals dying, the poor of New England turned to foraging in the forest for food like nettles, wild turnips, and hedgehogs. Hmm. Wild hedgehogs became a staple? quite the staple in the New Englander's diet in 1816. Hedgehogs? Mm-hmm. They have wild hedgehogs in... Yep. Huh. And I don't know how much meat you get from a hedgehog, because huh. it seemed kind of small, especially after you get all the spikes out. Huh. Well, you boil the spikes, and it's like a pasta. Uh, oh, gotcha. Well, it's like a toothpick <laughs> that you like... Right? <laughs> no, it's pasta. Okay. The meat, and then you oh, add the saying, meat. You're saying like the, the spikes get soft? Yeah, you just boil them and then they're like noodles. Oh, so it's like spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> yeah, it's spaghetti and hedgehog. Spaghetti and hedgehog. <laughs> don't know if that's an actual recipe, but... And I highly doubt that because I know that they're not made of egg and flour. Yeah. So. <laughs> Prices for all food, including wheat, grains, meat, vegetables, butter, milk, and flour, were all marked up extremely high. Mm -hmm. In Washington, D.C., congressmen voted to double their salary during this year. Oh, I bet Congress. What else is new? That's one thing we can always count on. Politicians being politicians and self-interested. Well, they're like, well, we haven't had a raise in, I want to say it was like, between five and ten years. And there, at this point, before they voted on this, they were getting a per diem mm-hmm. of about $3 a day that they worked. Mm-hmm. So then they voted to give themselves a raise, which would equal a $1,500 annual salary, no matter how many days they worked. Mm. And this did not go over well with Americans that were starving. Mm. And <laughs> Yeah, because you figure the country, if their yeah. previous per diem was $3 a day, it's 365 days a year. Right. And we all know politicians don't work 365 days Yeah, they days definitely do not. There are, like, summer breaks and winter breaks, and they ha- they go on break all the time. Mm-hmm. Or if you just don't feel like showing up. Yeah. Like, just, you know. <laughs> yeah, you just don't vote. You just don't care. Yeah. Yeah, there are no consequences. No. So Except for maybe not getting elected. But, yeah. yeah, well... After they voted to approve their pay increase, around 70% of the incumbent U.S. representatives were voted out of office in the next election. Good. Farms below the Mason-Dixon line were also struggling with frost killing their crops, though not to the extent that New Englanders were experiencing. Former President Thomas Jefferson, who was extremely meticulous about taking temperature and rain measurements, was also feeling the effects of the terrible weather. Jefferson measured only 0.8 inches of rain in August at Monticello, compared to the 9.2 inches that Monticello averaged a month. Mm. Wow. So I think the drought, I mean, the cold is affecting the southern crops as well, because Mm. they're not used to cooler cooler temperatures. Mm -hmm. But it's not freezing as often as it is in New England. Mm -hmm. But I think the drought is what really hurt the crops in the south. Several of Jefferson's crops failed, which led him to take out loans, and Jefferson continued to rack up debt that would be in the millions today until he died in 1826. So Jefferson was actually, like, way into weather. And so by this time, they do know about the eruption of Mount Tambora, Mm -hmm. but nobody is really putting two and two together. That's why 
the weather is it is doing what it is. Um, Thomas Jefferson actually thought that it was climate change due to humans. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. He's like, we've cut down too many of our forests. Mm-hmm. We're not messing with, we're Mother, Nature messing with Mother Nature too much. This is our fault. Mm-hmm. So even though this was caused by the eruption, mm-hmm. he was kind of, climate change was already, human caused climate change was already being talked about right. in the early 1800s. Yeah. Newspapers begged farmers and merchants to be patriotic and refrain from selling any of their crops to Europe because the whole world is experiencing this, especially the Northern Hemisphere is experiencing famine Mm -hmm. and cold spells. Europe is being hit really hard right now. Mm -hmm. Because in the Southern Hemisphere, it's already wintertime. Right, and they're actually like it kind of happened. This must it happened, the eruption must have occurred about the end of their growing season. Yeah, and so it's not really affecting them that much. And it seems that the really the weather patterns were the worst or the most affected affected in the northern hemisphere <laughs> compared to the southern hemisphere 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 hemisphere. So the <laughs> National Register wrote. It would be well, in order to prevent distress here, to suggest to the farmers and planters the propriety of retaining their grain for the consumption of their own countrymen, from whom it is probable they will be able to get as good a price as they can anywhere else, and at the same time do a service to their country. Mm. So, like France right now, they're going through a whole thing with their government and everything. Napoleon just got defeated, mm-hmm. and they're also... their crops are failing and they're like begging americans for food and they're like we'll pay more and americans are like well we're poor right now and we need as much money as we can so we're willing to sell you Mm -hmm. and then the american government newspapers are like we need to keep all the food we have here for people yeah farmers were also asked not to turn any corn or grain crops that they managed to harvest into alcohol (laughs) but keep it as food that can nourish americans like, we know you guys like to get drunk. Yeah. We know it's also a really depressing time right yeah. now, and you're spending a lot of time inside, and it's cold. Yeah. But please, please, just do not turn this into alcohol. <laughs> we need it as food. Yes. We need nutrients. Yeah. Several families that lost their farms to the weather decided to get out of New England and move west with the federal government removing indigenous tribes out of the Ohio Valley and banks providing cheap and easy credit to buy land, thousands of New England families moved west. Joseph Smith Sr., his wife Lucy, along with their nine children, had been tenant farmers in Vermont and New Hampshire. When the weather of 1816 destroyed all of their crops, they decided to move to New York State. Their fourth son, Joseph Jr., claimed to have visions while living in New York and went on to found Mormonism. Mm. So Mormonism may have got its start because of the great volcano winter. eruption. <laughs> hmm. Deep. Deep. Yeah. Those that stayed in New England were facing a harsh winter with little to no food. So now it's like real winter time again. Yeah. Hungry it's winter winter. It's now it's winter winter. Yeah. Solar solar winter? Yeah, I don't know what you'd call it. Huh. Volcanic winter. Well that's what the other one was. Yeah. This one's a solar winter now because it's like based upon the position. Oh, of the I got I got what you're saying. Yeah. Hungry wolves began to kill the last of the sheep and chickens that oh, no. were still alive. Kill the wolves! Well, because, yeah, wolves like, are hungry. Everything's hungry. Yeah. It's not just people. Like, why would you be watching your livestock? 
Well, in order to combat the wolves, several towns in Maine posted bounties of $40 for each dead wolf, Hmm. which was very impressive since a day laborer usually only made about $300 a year. Whoa. So people were all about hunting wolves (laughs) during this time. Many of the residents ate the tops of potato plants, since their actual potatoes never ripened. Yeah. Wild pigeons, boiled leeks, wild hedgehogs, and oats to survive. This is when, like, an oatmeal craze kind of took over New England. People Mm -hmm. hadn't really been eating oatmeal before this, but this was all really they had to eat. So a lot of people started eating oatmeal around this time. Nice. The one thing that had done actually pretty well during all of this crazy weather was maple syrup. And Vermonters started to use it as currency, which (laughs) they would trade for fish. Nice. Yeah. And probably to also flavor their oatmeal that they were now eating. Yeah. A little little syrup. Yeah. 1817 didn't start off much better for New Englanders than 1816 did. In May, there were several Vermont towns that had about half a foot of snow on the ground. This just caused more New Englanders to head west. People are just like, I, we can't. We're done. Over it. Yeah. Towns or a lot of neighbors would go in together to buy a piece of property out west. Yeah. And then all move together to start their own little town. Commune. Like in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. 1817 did eventually warm up and did not suffer the reoccurring cold spells that 1816 did. By the summer of 1818, temperatures were near where they were before Tambora erupted. <laughs> So about three years further Earth to to restabilize. Yeah, Yeah, that's crazy. Many parts of the world, like I said before, experienced severe cold fronts, famines, and epidemics during the year without a summer that changed the world, really. A cholera epidemic started in India and spread throughout Asia and Europe. Hmm. Farmers in China began to grow opium in order to make money after their crops failed, (laughs) which led to a huge boom in the opium trade that we still see today. When horses became hard to feed and keep around, Carl Drace invented the Lof machine, or running machine, which is an early predecessor of the bicycle. Mm. Except it had no pedals. You just right. had to use your feet. It was you like know. a strider bike. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I think I, didn't I talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say you talked about that in your Buffalo Soldiers on Iron Steeds, on Iron Steeds yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah. And when Mary Shelley was cooped up in a vacation home in Lake Geneva, she started to write Frankenstein in order to scare the other vacation home guests. Ooh. Yeah, so that's how the book Frankenstein came about. It's because of a a volcano. Yeah, because she was just stuck inside and they were bored. Hmm. (laughs) What have you done with your time during the quarantine? Right? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't write a massive bestseller that is like still being bought Uh, you don't know that (laughs) 200 years later (laughs) these these podcasts this is it this is my frankenstein Mm, this is your frankenstein and this started before yeah it did um so that is the year without a summer that essentially changed the world whoa my sources for this story are The Year Without Summer, 1816 and the Volcano that Darkened the World and Changed History by William K. Klingemann and Nicholas P. Klingemann. 201 years ago, this volcano caused a climate catastrophe by Michael Greshko. And 15 Facts About the Year Without Summer by Dennis Masuro. Very cool. Yeah. That was a good one. All right. You ready for some presidential trivia? Yes. I am 
so ready for some presidential trivia. Find out which president's favorite food was cottage cheese and ketchup. What is it? Richard Nixon. <laughs> which I feel like that's just the most like 70s food a 70s president could eat. Richard Nixon. Yeah. Apparently he loved cottage cheese. Oh, uh, what do they call him? Tricky Dick? <laughs> yep. Loved his cottage cheese. Loved his cottage cheese. And ketchup. Yep. And yeah, he ate it for breakfast, which yeah. kind of makes me like gag a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I'm kind of interested. Like, I'm intrigued because I like ketchup. Yeah. You know? People always are like, why do you like ketchup? I'm, why do you put ketchup on that? And I'm like, I don't know. Think about it like a tomato jelly, right? But it's not. But it kind of like, but think of it like that. Like you could put like the things that I put it on, like things that you'd put jelly on. But the difference is that it's not jelly. But it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> it's like a fruit jelly, <laughs> or excuse me, a vegetable jelly. Okay, we'll never agree on all of your uses for ketchup. <laughs> okay. I think the grossest thing I ever not I'm not gonna say the grossest thing I ever saw you do, <laughs> but one of the grossest things I've ever seen you do is while you're driving, you took a bite of a corn dog and then you squeezed a ketchup packet into your mouth after you took the <laughs> bite of a corn dog. <laughs> it was I don't yeah, and it doesn't even sound that it's, gross just saying that loud, but like watching that and even like reliving the memory in yeah, my head, just it, like yeah, yeah, it grosses me out. Well, you either put it on the corn dog while it's out of your mouth, or you put it on the corn dog while it's in your mouth. Yeah, you do that. You do the first one. You do it out of your mouth. <laughs> That's what's acceptable. Yeah. All right. Well, since we don't have any updates. We hope that you guys stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.